Welcome to the Health Leaders Podcast, the place for peer-sourced and solution-focused insights for healthcare executives with new episodes airing every Tuesday. I'm Jasmine Ray, and today's episode will be discussing how to support and advocate for the welfare of home health workers and how to get younger generations interested in home health. Joining me is Karen Fitton, Director for Bayada Home Healthcare, and Pam Sony, Director of Managed Care for Adults, also for Bayada Home Healthcare. Both Fitton and Sony are senior ambassadors to the Hearts for Home Care Ambassadors Program. Operating as a separate entity from Bayada Home Health, the program works to educate politicians, decision makers, and media on the challenges home health and home care workers face. Karen, Pam, thank you for being here. Hello, hello. Thank you, Jasmine. Thank you Both of you have extensive experience in the field. How do you feel that now working in more administrative roles for Bayada, that the culture of a home health organization can benefit from having those who have had the field experience in those administrative roles? I guess I'll address this first. Um, I feel as though my experience having been out in the field definitely benefits me in the office because I am able to bring the experience that I had working with families and medically complex children and the struggles that they had on a daily basis. I'm able to take that now into the office setting and apply that to what I'm doing. And like I said, I can really empathize with them. So it's a different perspective than someone who might just be an administrator who is working for a home care company because they haven't had that experience. I think being a nurse in home care um, definitely has benefited me. I'm an LPN. So, you know, for me, um, working in this administrative role with authorizations, kind of arranging the care, different role than Karen has, right? Um, I can visualize um, what is being put in front of me uh, about that client. So if somebody's coming home on a ventilator, I can visualize what the room looks like, what the client may look like by just reading the notes. And then when you're going to an um, an insurance company, because my core service is authorization. So um, I can have those conversations with the case managers at the insurance company and explain that without necessarily always having to bring in the nurse from the field or a nurse in a service office that's doing all the important things about arranging the care, making sure it's staffed, making sure everybody's trained. My role as a nurse is to look at that paperwork and have my questions up front with those folks and then go back and have serious conversations about why somebody should have 16 hours a day of nursing or not, you know, and um, be able to negotiate with insurance companies in that way. I agree with Pam on that as well. And one thing to add um, from my role and my perspective is it's so much easier to advocate for those clients because you do understand what they're going through, what their struggles are, what they need physically, um, medically, whatever it might be. But also the other part is to advocate for the nurses that having been a nurse in a home care setting and know the struggles that a nurse goes through and the challenges that they go through, um, it's easier for us to advocate for them too because we understand what they need. To piggyback off of that, how do you feel 
kind of having been in their shoes that you are able to support the workers who are in the field on the ground every day going into patients homes so for me advocacy has become a passion of mine um as we talked in the past um you know the nurses that are uh, and home health aides i'll just put that out there anybody that's going into the home they don't have um the same backup that other people have. So they're going into a home, to a stranger's home until they really um, develop a relationship with that family for caring for them. They don't have a doctor or another set of nurses right there. They're relying on their skill set, um, their expertise, um, their knowledge base, um, and you're entrusting them. The, the families are entrusting them. So for me, I'm extremely passionate that for advocating for all the resources that they need to provide this care and the funding to be able to have agencies and um, private caregivers, you know, family caregivers pay them a wage that is the same as somebody would have in it from a facility, a nursing home or a hospital. Um, because in in my mind, and I'm prejudiced for it, is that they're providing a, a really higher skill without backup. So that's why I, I'm very passionate because I have gone into a home. I know that sometimes it can be scary that you're like, uh, that this person's life is in my hands to be able to do that. And we have so many tremendous, tremendously skilled nurses out there and aides that are doing this service every day. And we're just under underfunded in most state programs for reimbursing them. Another major problem in home care that we're advocating for is workforce shortages. And as everybody knows, there is a workforce shortage in nursing in general. And it's not just home care. It's across the board everywhere. Um, and the wages that are offered depend on state funding, as Pam was saying. So in a lot of cases, the funding has not kept pace with um, as far as home care is concerned with hospital settings or facility settings, particularly in my area and other major metropolitan areas during the last three plus years during COVID, salaries have ballooned. Home care has not kept up with that. So we see a lot of people leaving home care to go now back to hospitals or other settings because the pay is so much higher bonuses are being offered, sign-on bonuses, retention bonuses, whatever it might be, and we just cannot compete. So our poor clients and our families, they have authorizations in place because these children are approved for medically necessary services, and there just are not enough nurses to um, fill those hours. So again, like Pam said, Advocacy is so important, and that's why we are involved with Hearts for Home Care, because we're trying to educate the legislators, number one, that these clients exist in their homes. A lot of them don't even know that. And number two, they are sometimes ICU-level care at home that might require more than what they would receive in a hospital setting, and we have they are desperate for nurses. So anything that they can do to help raise awareness or anything we can do to help raise awareness um, to get these clients what they deserve and to get the nurses the wages that they deserve. I mean, that's why we're here and that's why we're doing this. When it comes to advocacy for really any sector of healthcare, you're having to explain the complexities of the sector that you're in. 
with the purpose of Hearts for Home Care being to educate as ambassadors, when you are speaking to people, how do you navigate that conversation? How do you frame your argument or your position and leverage your experience as clinicians to really drive the point home? So for me, I usually start those conversations where I ask, have you ever been in a situation where you've had a loved one that has needed home care? Um, Have they ever been in the hospital and you have a decision? Do you put them into a a facility for a while? Um, Sometimes it's for a while. Sometimes it's for a long time. Or are you able to bring this person home with care? I've had both that said, you know, some people have had people that have had home care and other ones that need me to really paint the picture. And then I paint the picture. Um, So for me, most of my work's in the adult world where Karen has a little bit of both. So I like to say, so you're injured and have a spinal cord injury and you are coming out of a rehab facility that specialized in spinal cord injury and you no longer can care for yourself. Your arms and your legs don't work. Um, Basically, your lips move. And now you have to like blow into a straw to move your wheelchair and you have mechanical ventilation um, to breathe. Um, How are you going to come home? So I paint the picture that they have a hospital bed. They have a ventilator. They have tubing. They have sometimes tracks in the ceiling to help them lift out of bed. They have specialized bathrooms to help them. They have to mechanically use restrooms, like have people help them, assist them to use the bathroom um, and evacuate their bowels, catheterize them. I paint that picture as gruesome as it could sound because it's the fact of life for these folks. And then I talk about the nurses that go home in there, that go home with them, that they're providing 24 hour daycare in some cases. Otherwise, we fall into a situation where they're going into a facility that could cost $30,000 a month. You know, like it, it, some of those costs cost a lot of money to keep somebody in a facility. And then you're in a facility where you could develop secondary infections and then need to be rehospitalized. So um, trying to have your right um, data all in place for them to know what the cost savings is. It's not only highly specialized, like Karen said, an ICU unit in the home, but it reduces hospitalizations. It prevents infections. It allows the family to continue to provide, to be um, active in the community, sustain a job, you know, work and keep their loved one at home where the people are having a, a quality of life instead of a institutional quality of life. So I try to paint that kind of picture and I'm sure Karen paints it differently. And anytime we can bring somebody to the call with us or to bring a legislator to a home to show them that, that's a win for us because then you could, it really hits home when you see somebody living in their environment that looks like a hospital room. I do the same. And I think um, it's a little bit different than how Pam presents it. But a lot of these kids that are coming home with us now are having to stay in the hospital for an extended period of time just because they don't have nursing. It's not that they're not ready to go home with their parents. Their parents are trained. They're taught. They can care for them adequately. But there's no nursing at all to take them home. 
So I think raising awareness to the legislators, letting them know that this is definitely a problem. These kids are living in hospitals for an extended period of time unnecessarily because we don't have the staff in the home environment. We also like to bring them to the home because I think, you know, when an infant goes home from the hospital or what they think a typical infant is, you bring home this little baby and they're going to be in their crib and everything's going to be wonderful. But now you're bringing home an infant who is attached to machinery 24-7. Pretty scary for a mom and a dad who thought that they were having a so-called normal baby. Now they're having to deal with being a nurse 24 hours a day and without any support in the home environment. So in the state of Massachusetts right now, I think roughly 53%, don't quote me on that, of the approved hours are actually being filled. And so that means that those parents are responsible as a nurse for an additional 46 hours or 47 hours, if my math is correct, a day, or 47% of the hours of the week they're responsible for, not a day. And so you're putting this on someone who never anticipated taking home one of these children. So what we try and do is impress upon the legislators that these kids, number one, are out there, but also we're putting their lives in the hands of people that are lay people. And again, yes, the parents have been trained. The hospitals do a fantastic job of doing that, but this is not what they signed up for. And if they are approved for 80 hours a week of skilled nursing care, they deserve the 80 hours a week of skilled nursing. So whatever we can do to advocate to get more nurses into home care, to raise their wages so that they're attracted to home care, it's a very viable profession, but it all starts with nursing schools. And that's another area that we've had to target because there is such a shortage. We now need to go after the new graduates to get them into the field. So um, we explain the plight of home care in general, hoping that someone actually hears it. And if we can get them to go to the home so that they can actually see it, um, they can definitely empathize with the situation that these families are in and hopefully fight for the rights of these clients and the nurses. I wanted to add one additional thing, Jasmine, because Karen made me think of this is, you know, this shortage, it, it causes us to share clients with other agencies, which there's a break in continuity, you know, because everybody's pulling for the same group of nurses. Right. And then when you have nurses that we clients, adult or pediatric, that were unable to staff fully, even with several agencies covering, and you have authorization for a certain 16 hours a day, seven days a week, and you can't fill all of that, that requires somebody to stay home with them. So the families of these folks are having to use PTO, call in sick to work, take FMLA, maybe not have wages. And then it puts another burden on the state as well. If these folks aren't able to work to be able to provide, you know, income for their families, you know, um, it is a very domino effect kind of thing that can happen with this. That is just sad. We're losing nurses to Karen's point to traveling nurses that get paid to go to hospitals all over the country for very high wages, hospital systems with the bonuses. And then for home health aides, some of our competitions, Amazon and Walmart. So you have people that want to take care of people in the home and have that passion in their hearts and that to, to be able to have 
a working wage have to go to Amazon or Walmart because of what the state reimbursement rates across the country are. It's sad. So it's a there's a lot of talking points and it depends on which kind of um, I guess ask if we're going to legislators for more financial um, resources, if we're going to them to um, take burden off of some of the vetting, like uh, we go to them for different procedure policy and procedure type asks. It depends on what the ask is on um, at what picture we usually paint to them when we're discussing it with them. We've discussed the wages and how we're struggling to compete with larger providers like hospitals, as well as regulations. With the proximity that you have to politicians through being ambassadors, what would you say are like the top three issues that must be acted on if we are to face this crisis with home care, home health care dead on? Because in many areas, the demand for services, like you said, it exceeds the available staff. That's a tough one, Jasmine. (laughs) I guess um, what we are doing in the state of Massachusetts, and I do have to say that our legislators here are phenomenal. They have done a lot to um, or have invested a lot into the home care sector and um, continue to do so and continue to look for ways to build the workforce. So they're trying to be very creative to do this. So not all legislators are aware of what's going on though behind the scenes. Um, So I guess the most important thing to impress upon them though, and something that Massachusetts is doing, and I can't speak for other states, is that we're having a biennial rate review now. So they gather information from all of the agencies asking about Uh, types of clients, authorized hours, how much we're paying our nurses, what our expenses are, like just trying to get down to the nitty gritty as to what are the costs associated with caring for these clients. Then they are looking outside of home care and they're looking at um, other agencies. They're looking at um, facilities, hospitals, trying to see what they're paying for wages as well. And then they're going to compare those wages to a similar job or compare it to home care and look and see where the disparity is. And then based on all of that, they will make a decision as to how much they're going to raise or maybe not raise the reimbursement rates in state. So that's the number one thing is that we have to make sure that they're getting a fair and equitable wage. That's the only way that we're going to get nurses to come to home care initially, because the first thing that people ask when they're applying for a job is how much does it pay? You could, you know, you could sell me the job and say it's the most wonderful job that you could ever work. But at the end of the day, if I can't pay my bills and can't support my family, I'm not going to take it. So we've come a long way in this state, um, lessening the gap between working in a facility versus working in home care, but we still have a long way to go. So I think, number one, that's the most important thing to talk to them about. Um, I think raising awareness, again, about the types of clients that are out in the home and the level, the complexity level that they are. Back when I first started in home care 30 plus years ago, A lot of the children that we take home now, and frankly, the adults, too, would not have survived. So we wouldn't even be having a discussion about ICU level care in the home because those clients wouldn't have even ever made it home. 
back in the day when I first started, Traked invented clients were Traked invented clients for their entire lives. Now they're a lot more aggressive and they wean them off and not to get too medical, but they wean them off the vent and eventually a lot of our kids, they get decannulated. But in the meanwhile, when they first come home, I think it's important for the legislators to know how complex the care is and that it can be ICU level care at home. They, some of our kids go back into the hospital and the floors, the regular medical floors won't even take them. They get admitted right to the ICU because they cannot care for them on a regular hospital floor. So I think impressing upon them the complexity of what we're dealing with in a home environment. And these nurses are on their own. There's no backup. When you're in the hospital, the respiratory therapist is down the hall. There's other nurses to call upon. If there's an emergency, there's always someone there to help you. In the home, it could be just you. If mom and dad are working, you're there by yourself. You have the option to call 911, but until EMS gets there, you're still handling that client by yourself. So the liability, I think, for a home care nurse is a lot, or a home health aide or whoever, is a lot higher than it would be if you were working in a facility. So um, I don't think that people realize that. And I was going to say, home care is not the default, right? Hospitals, discharge planners, or facilities in general want to discharge clients to another facility um, if they need further care. So hospitals want to get them out of the system as fast as they can and to a subacute unit or to a long-term care facility. Um, And it used to be that that was the notion that, you know, home care was more costly. That's outdated. Home care, there's a lot of studies and I don't have the um, particulars, but um, Home care is less expensive than facility care on a whole. So we want to prioritize when we're talking to legislators the correct data that showing them that it is less expensive to bring a client home to to a home intensive care unit. Um, We want to make sure they reprioritize home care as the new default setting of being discharged to home. Um, it's why we advocate to show the state and federal decision makers the value of home care and the value in our caregivers. Um, and it's for the clients that are unable and the caregivers that are unable to share their own voices. They need people that can they're doing the work and they're being cared for out there. They might not have the voice that comes out and be able to do that. So I, that's some of the things. The wages is definitely the other piece. And then hitting home this shortage is no joke, the the healthcare shortage. So to really drive home that wages in healthcare, every job is important. Everybody should get paid. You know, I would give everybody millions of dollars if I could, but it's really to, to hit home that, you know, for Bayada, we call our field staff heroes on the home front. They're taking care of our most vulnerable um, people in, in our communities, not just Bayada's clients, but every home care agency. So when we advocate, Bayada has the um, made the initiative and has this group to go out and and to advocate. But it's really to advocate for every single client, every single nurse, every single home health aide in every state that we're in, um, that we need um, help with our wages and we need legislators to give us some assistance about getting more nurses to be trained um, and getting more people out in um, to choose home care as a specialty, to be recognized as a specialty and home care to be a default setting for discharges. 
Oh, Pam, Karen, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your insights, your experience, and your advocacy efforts. It's been great speaking with you. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you, Jasmine. And thank you for listening to the Health Leaders Podcast. We'll be here each Tuesday with more healthcare industry insights.